Thank you, ladies. Why does it always sound so angelic when ladies sing and so boisterous when men sing? I don't know, but uh, there's something to that sound that is beautiful. Holy, holy is the Lord. Will you turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Philippians chapter 4? We are asking the question today, what does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? And I'm going to say that to rejoice in the Lord is to willfully take joy because of my relationship with Christ without any regard to circumstances. I can take joy in anything and everything. And further, I choose to be joyful about anything or everything without regard to circumstances because of my relationship to Christ. Now, Paul reads in chapter 4, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore you, Odia, and I implore Syndicate to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help those women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice, and let your gentleness or moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now picture this, Epaphroditus has come from Rome with a letter from Paul for the little church at Philippi. Ten years earlier, Paul had met with them on the side of the river for a prayer fellowship. Lydia had joined with the Jews from Philippi. She was a purple merchant and this was a royal city, and there was a market for the royal color purple because this was the emperor's city, one of his specially designated cities. And since those 10 years had passed, Paul had experienced dramatic stonings in Derby and Lystra. He had experienced rejection by the Jewish circumcisers who felt that he had watered down the gospel because he was allowing Gentiles to be saved without circumcision. Paul had experienced all kinds of imprisonments and sicknesses, and yet he can rise up and say, rejoice in the Lord. He had even been, if you will, back to Jerusalem with the offering that he had collected from the Gentile believers for the saints at Jerusalem and his motives had been misunderstood so that he was thrown in jail because he had brought the offering back and someone manufactured the charge that they had seen him in the temple with a Gentile. And now, after a stormy trip to Rome, he has landed in a Roman prison, and after all of that in the 10 years since they had seen him, Paul writes, the little church gathers, perhaps in the courtyard of the little shopping mall where Lydia had shops and sold her purple cloth and her purple dye and her purple gems and her purple things. And there they had benches set up and the little church would gather and Epaphroditus stood up to read this little letter of four chapters. 
And in that letter, they heard Paul, battered and beaten and tried and persecuted, say to them, rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. Now, I'm going to ask this week, did you just give lip service to Thanksgiving or did you genuinely rejoice? This is one of the recurring themes throughout the little book of Philippians. It is joy and it is rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now, let's catch the context here. First, in verse 1, he says, stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Stand fast and see that phrase, in the Lord. Now, that's going to be our key here. In verse 2, there were two women who were evidently in a deep disagreement. I would say that they're in conflict. They're having a fight. Euodia and Syntyche are their names. And he said, tell Sister Euodia and tell Sister Syntyche to agree or to be of the same mind. Now, here's the phrase, in the Lord. And then in verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Then in verse 6, he tells us what the conditions for rejoicing really are. In a general sense, be anxious for nothing. And let's look at this verse. Prayer must replace worry. Prayer must replace worry. Be anxious over nothing. And secondly, prayer resolves everything. Pray about anything and everything. In every circumstance, in every trial, in every difficulty, by prayer and supplication, uh, let your request be made known to God. Thirdly, prayer requires thanksgiving. I hardly can see how we can come to the Father with a request for anything without thanking Him for everything in the past. It is almost as if the prayer turns on thanking God for all He's done in the past and thanking Him by faith for what He's going to do in the future. And fourth, Paul redirects prayer. He redirects prayer, redirects the personal. We pray not only for others. Don't let the devil put you on a guilt trip about praying for your own needs. He said, in everything, let your requests be made known to God. Sandwich your requests with giving of thanks to the Lord. Now, I must confess to you that I have two basic problems with thanking the Lord in every circumstance and in every situation. My first problem is this. It is irrational. It is just not normal for a regular person to get crushed by a dump truck and then to rise up and say, thank you, Jesus. I mean, I've got a category for people who do that, and I'm not going to tell you where I put them. It's an irrational thing. It's not according to the flesh. By the flesh, we cannot do that. We cannot go through cancer and say, oh, thank you, Lord. I just rejoice in this cancer. It is not our nature to do that. And if that is your nature, I need to have a talk with you because I want you to bottle whatever it is you got, and we can use it for the glory of God. Amen? <laughs> so first, I've got to deal with a question of whether it's rational. It is only rational for me to rejoice in my circumstances, whatever they are, when I am absolutely convinced God is who He says He is, and then it makes all the sense in the world. But problem number two is it's hypocritical. 
I mean, it's just plain hypocritical to thank God when you don't feel like thanking God. Now, I have a hard time with that. I, I struggled with that years ago, thanking God when I didn't feel like thanking God. But I do it out of obedience to God because I know God is a sovereign God. And so I praise him by faith, knowing that I do it as an act of the will towards God out of obedience. And I know that God is sovereign. So I thank him for it, even when I don't feel like it. Because I've learned there are a lot of things I must do that I don't feel like doing. And there are a lot of things I shouldn't do when I feel like doing them. Amen? And all of you who are just like me said amen. <laughs> I heard about a teacher who went for an interview one time to this little one-horse school, this one-room schoolroom, and the little school board in the town met with a teacher, and they said, now, uh, we have a question for you here. Do you believe the world is flat, or do you believe the world is round? And fearing that he might not get his job, he said, well, I can teach it either way. <laughs> so I can go either way on this one. I mean, it's, it's irrational until you get to who God is. And it's hypocritical until you understand that it's obedience to God for you to praise God even when you don't feel like it as an act of faith. Now, I want us to take the book of Philippians, and I want you to see the four things that I believe it means to rejoice in the Lord. Is this a phrase? Is this a shibboleth? Is this a magic chestnut? Or is there an objective reason why we are commanded to rejoice in the Lord? I am to rejoice when I'm suffering. I am to rejoice in a hard circumstance. I am to rejoice when somebody does me wrong. I am to rejoice when I'm in pain. I am to rejoice when I've lost my job. I am to rejoice when my wife walks out of me. That's a dangerous one, but uh, I can rejoice. I can rejoice when my husband leaves me. I can rejoice when my junior high child runs off on marijuana and I haven't seen him for six days or I haven't seen her for two weeks and don't know where she is. Can you rejoice in the Lord in every circumstance and for all things? And I want you to see that one of the main purposes of the book of Philippians is to give us four pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those four pictures of Christ explain rejoicing in the Lord in a beautiful way. The first one is this. In chapter 1, Christ is demonstrated and revealed in the picture as being our life. Christ is our life. Chapter 1, verse 21. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now that is what the Apostle Paul is saying. To him, the phrase in the Lord means oneness or unity with Christ. I rejoice in every circumstance because I am one with Christ. And if I am truly in a unity with Christ and he is in me and I am in him and he is my life and my life is his life, and we are one, then I can rejoice in every circumstance because he experiences what I experience. That is why the Christology of the New Testament is so very important. Yes, Jesus Christ suffered. It's very important that he suffered because if he didn't suffer, then how could he understand my needs and my circumstances and be my life? Yes, Jesus Christ died. He, was, he uh, was hung on a cross. 
They laughed at him. They spit upon him. They rejected him. He understands when I get rejected. He understands when you get rejected. He's gone through everything. That is why the book of Hebrews says, we have not an high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. I heard a man one time in a country church say, I don't want no doctrine or some such thing. Well, if you don't have no doctrine, you're going to be in serious trouble because you have no help. What, what meaning is there to rejoice in the Lord unless God is God and Christ is Christ and he is our life and we're one with him. And when we suffer, he suffers. And when we experience pain, he experiences pain. And we know that. There is no temptation taken us, but such as is common to man. And it was common to the Lord Jesus Christ also, because we are in unity with him. We are one with him, and we share everything. And he shares our pain and circumstances. He experiences what I experience. I die with him. I suffer with him. I die with him. I live with him. If you've never read Francis Schaeffer's great classic book, I would recommend it to you. It is called True Spirituality. It was one of his first books. And it is a book that I read every two or three years, right alongside uh, A.W. Tozer's The Pursuit of God and the Knowledge of the Holy. And I recommend True Spirituality. And when I read that book and I saw this truth, it leaped out to me like just like a, a, a giant surprise with a big bow on it. And here was this truth, that when I am... When I am died with Christ, when I am dead with Christ, I have died with him, and I have been resurrected, I am to live every day in the fullness of the Spirit as if I had already been resurrected myself. Now, what happens to the way I treat you, Robbie, when I look at you through resurrection eyes? Can you imagine if I had died and been buried and been resurrected, how I would look at every person in this room. And can you imagine if all of our church was living the resurrection life? We have died with him. We have been raised with him. We are living in resurrection power where that Christ is our life, resurrection life. The way I see every single person is, is through resurrection eyes. I know what death is all about, and I can look at you through those resurrection eyes. I would treat everybody differently with greater compassion. I want to tell you, when you have knocked at the door of death, you will want to be full of joy over life. I remember after my heart attack, when I lay there, I was thanking everybody four and five times for everything. And Shirley said, honey, you only have to thank them once. But yeah, I was so thankful for everything that everybody did. I was just so thankful to be alive, so thankful that I had come through it. I, I, I wanted to thank everybody for everything. I mean, look at me right, and I'm going to thank you three times for it. Imagine what would happen if we'd gone all the way through death and come all the way out of death and been resurrected. And so Christ is our life. Paul says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And in a practical sense, what that means is no matter what circumstance you go through, you can rejoice in the Lord because to die is gain. The worst thing that can happen to you is a supreme victory. So what is there to cry about? He's saying, Christ is my life and he shares it with me. I can rejoice in the Lord because the Lord is with me. He is my life and I am his. It's sort of like the unity you feel after you've been married for a while. Shirley and I celebrated our 38th wedding anniversary. I know I don't look like I could have been married that long, but you just have to take that by faith. 
uh, we celebrated our 38th wedding anniversary on, fr- on uh, what day was it? Friday. And uh, we had every grandchild and every child and every in-law and everybody who wanted to be an in-law in our house. And Shirley's dad, 22 people she fixed Thanksgiving dinner for. It was good. They ate a 17-pound turkey and a 12-pound ham all at one time. And I mean, it was plum good. Oyster dressing with big plump oysters in it. Do you like oyster dressing? Man, I love oyster dressing out of a turkey. But anyway, that's what we're going to have for lunch today and tomorrow and Tuesday. And then I think it'll be all gone. Uh, But uh, uh, it was our 38th wedding anniversary. And uh, we thought, well, we'll celebrate uh, when all the kids get gone. And unfortunately, they didn't get all gone till about a quarter till eight. And when the final pack pulled out and the red lights disappeared, I looked at her and she looked at me and we both took deep, long breaths. We were too exhausted to celebrate anything. (laughs) Any of you ever been there? So last night, a day late, but not a dollar short, we finally got to celebrate. And we finally got to sit and talk about 38 years. And to think that woman has been through all 38 years with me. My highest points my lowest points, my hurting points, my pain points, my great points, my my bad points. (laughs) She's been through every day. In fact, she's known me eight years longer than that. I mean, 46 of my 48 years, she has known me. (laughs) Imagine that. (laughs) She has known everything about me. Now, I want to tell you, there is something unique about sitting down and talking about life with somebody who knows everything about you. You don't have to do any catching up. You don't have to explain anything. She already knows it all. But do you not understand that that is what it means when Paul says, Christ is my life. He has lived with me since the day I put my trust in Jesus. He lives in me and I live in him. And I can rejoice in anything because he is with me. He is above me. He is beside me. He is alongside me, behind me, around me. Christ is our life. And to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Whether it's life or death, then we gain as believers. And we can rejoice in anything. And nobody can take that away from us. Give thanks. And rejoice with a thankful heart. Secondly, Christ is not only our life, he is our mind. That is the picture of Christ in chapter 2. And Paul picks up the subject in chapter 2, verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let let each esteem others better than himself. And he moves on to say, this is precisely what I mean, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So I'm not only to rejoice in the Lord because Christ is my life and he is with me in any circumstance, but I am to rejoice in the Lord because he is my mind and I am to have the mind or attitude or character of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let this mind be in you. I think it is empty to praise God unless you can honestly praise God for every circumstance because you're humble before God and you are submitted to whatever God brings or allows in your life. 
outside of that, how can I honestly say I can rejoice in losing my job? I can rejoice in the theft of my retirement. Well, I don't know, but God's going to provide for you some other way. And when God provides, his provision is going to be much better for you. Right? Rejoice in the Lord because Christ is our life. And secondly, he is our mind. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the very few things in life we have control over is attitude. Yet many Christians live their lives and behave as if they have no control whatsoever over their attitude. I can't help but feel this way. Oh, yes, you can, because you're going to be accountable for your attitudes and your motives and your intentions. And if God did not intend to hold us accountable, why would he command attitudes? You are not just a slave. What you think is not just the product of your parents when they raised you. It's not just the product of your background that influences it. But imagine going through life crippled because of something that somebody said to you 27 years ago and you never get over it and you allow them to control the rest of your life by one little statement 27 years ago. Let this mind be in you. When you come to Jesus Christ, God says if you want to be able to face anything and rejoice in it, then you have to have the mind of Christ. And that mind of Christ is based upon humility. It's based upon uh, humility that is expressed in verse 8. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. It is based upon the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ paid any price for us. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was wounded for our transgressions. By his stripes, we are healed. Sometimes we suffer, not for our own good, but for the good of somebody else. And Christ suffered for our good. And the reason he could suffer was because of his character. He was humble. And he humbled himself and became obedient to the death of the cross. When I understand who God is, God is sovereign. God is good. God is kind. God is merciful. God is full of grace. When I understand the character of God, then I can rejoice in the Lord. I'm rejoicing in his grace because he's given me something I don't deserve. I'm rejoicing in his mercy because he's given me something I don't, uh, I didn't earn. He's given you talent that you didn't have anything to do with. I can look at some of you teenagers. You've got talents. You had absolutely nothing to do with them. The very best you could do to it was add to what God originally gave you. And he's given you that. And anything less than humility and mercy before God, pleading that, is pride. Christ is our mind. He is our mind. Whether I live in Christian victory or whether I live in Christian defeat has very little to do with my circumstances. I went through a time since my heart attack when I felt sorry for myself and I recounted all the things that had happened to this church. And I recounted all the things that had happened to me and you don't even know them all. And I recounted those and I felt sorry for myself because I focused on those things and I thought, well, Lord, why would you do all this? And then I thought, well, the Lord must really love me and I want to tell you, I had to get beyond that. It's more than just the fact that God loved me. I am a servant, and he is the sovereign. And therefore, he can do with me as he chooses. But I am living with an established belief that God is absolutely committed to the very best in my life.
And whatever comes, though it doesn't appear to be the best, I can take it as the best because I have a heavenly father. I've established that as a foundational belief. I've made a commitment in my life. God is sovereign and he is committed to my best interest. He is a loving God and he is always acting in my best interest. Therefore, I can rejoice in the Lord, in his humility, in his grace, in his mercy to me. I can rejoice because what I have I didn't deserve. I can rejoice even when everything comes at me, wave after wave after wave. It makes no difference. I can rejoice in the Lord because I have established as a foundation in my life that God is a loving God and he is absolutely committed to my very best interest. Now, I want to speak to everybody who's 17 and under right now for a minute. I want everybody to look at me. You will finally start growing up the day you come to the point where you are absolutely convinced about your father and mother that everything they do is in your long-term best interest. When I finally came to that point that everything my mother and father did for me was out of love for me and was done in my long-term best interest, I realized at that point I turned a corner of maturity. And I am here to tell you there's a point of spiritual maturity at which you turn. The moment you come to understand God is a loving God and everything God allows in your life is in your best long-term interest. And I wish I could have learned that long before I did. So I'm rejoicing because of the character of the Heavenly Father. I see everything that happens to me in my choice of attitudes as an opportunity for growth and an opportunity for glory and not just instruction, although it may include that. So whether you continue to live in Christian victory or in Christian defeat with your circumstances and the problems you face has very little to do with your circumstances, be they few or many, but it has everything to do with the attitude you choose to have, whether it's yielded in submission to the Lord Christ or whether it is focused on the circumstances themselves. You can rejoice in the Lord not only because Christ is your life, but because of his character. Now, let me say the third thing. We can rejoice in the Lord because Christ is our purpose and Christ is our goal. Chapter 1, Christ is our life. There's a picture of him. Chapter 2, Christ is our mind. Chapter 3, Christ is our purpose. Look at chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. But indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. There it is. I count anything but the knowledge of Christ as a loss and everything about Christ as a gain for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, one of the themes of Philippians, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Now, here's the purpose of life and our goal in life. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings 
being conformed to his death. Now, I can rejoice in the Lord because that means I am rejoicing that God is carrying me through this circumstance to the goal that he has for me in life. I want to know Christ, so therefore, I must know the power of his resurrection. To know that, I must know the fellowship of his sufferings. And I must have my, my character shaped and my, my, my life shaped to his death so I can live in resurrection power. Now, what that means then to me in rejoicing and thanking God for anything in all circumstances is that I can rejoice because that circumstance God can use to bring me to the goal that he has in my life of knowing Christ and being conformed to his death and knowing him in the power of his resurrection. I think if you know Christ in the power of the resurrection, it means there'll be victory over your temper, there'll be victory over your thoughts, there'll be victory over your materialism, your greed, there'll be, vic there'll be victory over your envy, there'll be victory over your covetousness, there'll be victory, which is one of the main enemies of thanks, is coveting. As long as you're coveting, you can't really be thankful because it means you're not satisfied with what God has given you. Paul explains it this way over here in Romans chapter 8. And uh, if you know it, you'll know this verse is often used to say that God uh, makes good out of everything, but it's, it's just a little bit more powerful than what you think, perhaps. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, it looks like that verse is saying, if you love God, things will somehow automatically by themselves all fall into place. But that's not what that verse says at all. Theu in the nominative is the subject. And what the verse could say and should say is, God is able to make everything work together for good because of his love. Now is different. Things don't just pan out. We are not Christians who just hope everything works out. You don't have good luck. Sometimes we say good luck, but we as Christians don't really mean good luck. What we mean is keep the right spirit so that God can take whatever circumstance comes your way and you can rejoice in it because God uses it to move you towards the goal of making you into the image of Christ. So in verse 29, he goes on to say, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. I tell you this, the goal of this church is to not make you a Christian like Dr. Hip. The goal of this church is not, not to make you a Christian like Larry Sauls or Steve Hine. It's not to make you a Christian like Mark Quartz. We have one goal, and our passion is one and one alone. It is so that every one of us can be conformed to the Lord Jesus Christ, the same master, the same head, and that we might be like him in character image. That is God's goal. And I can rejoice in the Lord because that is my goal, and that is his goal for me. So I rejoice in every circumstance and give thanks because that's his goal for me. One day this week, I sat down and wrote a list of all the good things that happened to me this year. That was really easy. I've had some good things happen to me this year. God has really been good to me. And I made a list and thanked him for those. And I'll be very honest with you, Margie, that was not tough. But then I made a list of all the bad things that have happened to me. The tough things, the challenging things. And the times I had really blown it. I mean, I really messed up. 
and I made a list of those. And I'm going to tell you, I've been walking with the Lord for many years. I've been filled with the Spirit thousands of times. But did you know that it's still by nature tough to sit there and praise God for those hard things? It is difficult and impossible unless I understand Christ is my life and Christ is my heart, mind, soul, and attitude and Christ is my purpose and everything that happened to me happened to me so that God could use it. I don't know when. I don't know how. I've already seen a few things he's used to make me more like Jesus, but I got some real serious questions about a couple of others, to be honest with you. I'm just waiting on how he's going to work those out. And there's a fourth and last one, and that is in chapter 4. I can rejoice in the Lord because he's taking me to a goal. But in chapter 4, Christ is my strength. Chapter 4 and verse 12. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere, I mean any place. <laughs> Never forget visiting a lady whose husband had just moved here, here from Oklahoma. And I was visiting in the home. They visited Calvary. And she just looked at me and said, I want you to know there is no way to be happy in North Carolina. I can only be happy in Oklahoma. Now, I've been to Oklahoma, and you can be happy in Oklahoma. But I've been to North Carolina. You can be happy in Oklahoma. Paul said, I know how to be happy and how to abound everywhere in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then he summed it up. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. And the picture of Christ in the fourth chapter is Christ is our strength. Beautiful picture. So the reason I can rejoice in the Lord is that I've got his strength in me. I can take any circumstance because Christ is my strength, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I face schedules sometimes where for two or three days, I would say, how am I going to get through this? There is no way I can do this. And all you do is take one step at a time by faith, and Christ pours his strength. The strength of Christ is like the mercy of Christ. He doesn't give you an overly ample supply. He gives you just what you need as you need it and as you use what he's already given you. Most everything God gives to me, he doesn't give me, he doesn't pile it all up and say, there it is. There's a stockpile for you for five years. He gives me just enough grace for today. And when I've used that up, he gives me grace for the next day. And he gives me just enough strength for this day. And when I've used that up, he gives me strength for the next day. Christ is my strength. Therefore, I can rejoice in whatever the Lord sends because I know I can go through it, whatever it takes. I can rejoice in the Lord's strength. I can rejoice in the Lord's goal and purpose for my life. I can rejoice in the Lord's character and mind and attitude. And I can rejoice in any circumstance because he is my life. I don't live, it's Christ that lives in me as I die to the world and my life is Christ. It, it's a, you say, but that's, that's too abstract for me. I can't handle that. Wait a minute. It's just as simple as this. It's living as if you're dead to something. When I learned I could no longer eat Butterfingers, I had to live as though I were dead to Butterfingers and I love Butterfingers. My favorite candy bars were bits of honey, bit of honey. How many of you like bit of honey? And Butterfingers... 
And uh, let's see, there was one. Oh, and paydays. I've always loved paydays. I used to have a man who had a cousin who owned a, a supply house, and every Christmas he'd give me a whole box of paydays for Christmas. And man, between Christmas and March 1st, I'd gain about 12 pounds because I was eating all those paydays. Now, please don't run out and buy me a box of paydays, anybody, because uh, I can't take all those now. But they are good, aren't they? Paydays, bit of honeys. I still sneak a bit of honey once in a while. And those are some of my favorite candies. Now, when I learned that I was going to have to give up a lot of those things, I had to make a choice in my mind. And my choice was that I am going to give them up and live as though I'm dead to paydays and butterfingers and bit of honeys. Now, that's not easy, but it can be done. And did you know I haven't had a bit of honey in at least three days? <laughs> no, I think I did one of the, I like them because they come in those little sections and you can have just one section and cheat just a little bit. And, and you do it when nobody's around so nobody tells. And you walk into the kitchen, your teeth are all stuck together. And she said, what you been into? Bit of honeys? That's what it means to live dead to sin. That's what it means to live dead to the world. That's what it means to live in resurrection power. That's the only way we can rejoice in any and every circumstance, whether it's death or suffering or loss. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We Christians don't just buckle up and toughen up and take it on the chin. Our taking circumstances is grounded in the character of the Lord Jesus Christ and in our everyday relationship to him. Joseph Tan put it this way. He was pastor of the Second Baptist Church in Aradia, Romania. And he left in 1972 to go to Oxford to do a doctorate in theology. And as he left, when he left, he realized that most of his life he had buckled under to the communist authorities who had set severe restrictions on worship. He said, I've let them box me in in my ministry. I've let them define how I'm going to preach. I was fearful for my life. I feared losing my life more than anything else. So I conformed to what they want. He went and did his doctorate in theology. When he returned, he began to preach. Before he came back, somebody, a fellow student, asked him, how are you going to go back into a communist society? The revolution had not taken place in Romania yet. He said, I'm claiming Matthew chapter 10. Jesus said, I send you as sheep among wolves. And I know sheep don't last long among wolves, so it doesn't really matter. I have reckoned that. I no longer have as my basic desire to live. I'm ready to die at a moment's notice. He had not been back in the country carrying on his ministry long before he preached openly. His tapes were being distributed all over the country, tapes of his messages in the church. And one morning in the middle of the service, a communist agent came and took him away, took him to a torture room, and for three days, they beat him and tried to make him promise that he would quit preaching and that he would leave the city. Then they told him to leave the country. Finally, he conjured up his philosophy and told the man who was beating him. He said, I want you to know this. You can kill me if you want because I no longer care whether I die. 
For he said, I want to live, uh, but I want to live in Christ. And if I die, that is gain. I will go to be with Christ. And if you kill me, my blood will be martyr's blood, sanctifying every gospel tape in this country. And people will listen to them 10 times more because you've killed me. And in death, I'll go to glory and you will promote the gospel, and I will gain supreme victory over you by dying completely. So go ahead and kill me if you want. I really don't care. The man scratched his head and walked out of the cell and came back several hours later and said, you're free, go on. I don't know what to do with you. And Joseph Tan said that when I was freed from the fear of death, I was freed from the fear of laws and rules and restrictions. And he said, I, for the first time in my life, found out what genuine freedom was because I had reckoned death to Christ and I had reckoned life to Christ and I was now alive and I was free from anything and everything. And I thought, man, that really says it all. That is what we're about in this world. What difference does it make? I can rejoice in anything because Christ is my life. Christ is my mind. Christ is my goal in life and Christ is my strength. And once you reckon that and you come to that place of surrender, you're really free. <laughs> I mean, money, it's good to have it, isn't it, Larry? I mean, it's good to have it, but we, we can live without it if we have to. It's nice to have a good job, but you can live without a job if you have to. Everybody here has probably been in that, that place one time or another in their lives. When you come to Jesus Christ, I mean, everything has changed. You can face anything. And you can give thanks for everything because of Christ. And if you've never given him your heart, I invite you to come and be saved. And I, I invite you to come and be a part of this church fellowship in any way this church receives members as God speaks to you. And I invite you to come and declare yourself dead to sin and free because of Christ from anything and everything.